0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Agile Empath Podcast, Diversity and Inclusion. We are hearing stories of people who are creating change in their communities. So listen and be inspired and even come join us on this journey. Welcome to the Agile Empath Podcast. My name is Alexia Georgieou. I'm a coach and consultant. You can learn more about me at TheResilientPathway.com and reach me directly, Alexia at TheResilientPathway.com. That's A-L-E-X-I-A at TheResilientPathway.com. Welcome to Episode 1 of Season 2 on Diversity and Inclusion. Today, Ben Roberts, the founder of the Now What Collective, joins us. You can follow along at NowWhat2020.com to look at the website about the Now What Collective. Ben Roberts has been convening and hosting both in-person and virtual conversations on a regular basis since March 2009, when he began leading a local weekly discussion salon. He specializes in making virtual events come alive, either as standalone events or in conjunction with in-person gatherings. Ben has extensive experience adapting large group conversational processes, such as World Cafe, open space technology and appreciative inquiry to the virtual realm, as well as integrating in-person and virtual formats with a single conversation, gathering, or engagement. He uses these processes to support collaboration, build communities of practice and purpose, and to host large-scale conversations in service to the work being done across multiple dimensions of global systemic transformation. The Now What Collective meets two times a year, and our fall 2020 session begins on October the 12th. We welcome Ben Roberts. Hi, Ben. Thank you for being on the Agile Empath Podcast. Um, I'm so grateful that you're here to tell us about Now What? I was part of the spring 2020 edition, and I'm excited to be part of the fall 2020 edition, and I wanted our listeners to hear about Now What?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Alexia. It was really great to meet you back in in March, and I so appreciated your contribution to that last gathering, and uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with the next one that, that starts a week from Monday, October 12th. We begin... Uh, and we go through November
0: twentieth. So we're starting Indigenous Peoples Day. This is a worldwide collective, and we're going to take it through the elections and the aftermath here in the U.S., which is being observed worldwide. It has an impact worldwide.
1: It certainly,
0: great does. timing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting to to for now. What to to work as a space that connects people in the U.S. up with people around the world who are closely following what's going on here um i'm even imagining i might go um hang out at at a a polling place that you know at our polling place here in newtown you know obviously far enough away that it says fine and and set up a little table and, and and ask people if they wanted to come and talk to others from around the world who are who are watching we might have several locations like that i don't know just to to really beam people right into what's going on here in the U S but we're not, one of the things about now what is that only some of it gets designed in advance and and sort of programmed and scripted. Uh, and I think this edition even more than the previous ones will very much be a sort of a collective, um, collectively created, co-created set of of invitations and opportunities, um, for connection and conversation and sharing learning and, and, um, Um, moving resources as well as a gift economy of now that we want to help resource people in these times of crisis.
0: Um, uh, What are the crises that people are bringing to now what? I know in March we were so focused on COVID-19 and that was very helpful to those in the collective and those who joined. Um, it, It was very supportful for us during that time. But I know there's also others, other topics that people
1: bring. Right. I mean, it was back in the, the, the second gathering that was called Now What, but really the first that had this the, the quality of what, what it, something along the lines of what it now looks like was back in, this was in May and June of 2019, um, that some of the participants collectively sort of described what we were doing as practicing the art of being fully human in a time of crisis so at the you know in 20 in that point in 2019 i think a lot of us were looking at um, you know things like the the climate crisis or um, the the rising you know inequality, economic inequality around the world and, and the degree to which so many people were struggling to to just survive and have basic needs met or to, or to have lives that that, that that were meaningful to them in you in, in a world that seemed you know so focused on on you know the shallow Pursuit of consumerism and and um, you know uh, disconnection from from one another, the, the the breakdown of community, all these different things. So the and and the people I've been drawn to and working with, going all the way back to 2010 when I started doing this convening work virtually and in person, the the the, the story of what's happening in the world that that made sense to me, and that I've heard told by by many of these folks since is that we're in a time of fundamental transformation. And so all of our human systems are, are under strain and are breaking down to varying degrees, in large part because they're based on incomplete ways of understanding who we really are and how the world really works a story that says that we're all these individual units, that uh, part of a, a machine, a meaningless universe. And, and, you know, my goal is just to survive and, and money is the lodestar for everything else. It's how we organize our, you know, all of our systems around, around money primarily. And um, and, and that story was clearly, you know, was, I think collectively we're, we've been recognizing more and more that that story doesn't quite work anymore um that that however you want to look at sort of the the fundamental principles of how we organize ourselves you you, most people see that they aren't working that's why we got a president trump it's why bernie sanders did well it's why i think people look at things like the iraq war or the 2008 financial meltdown as well as you know climate crisis economic inequality those things they say you know our systems are just broken or how much money there is that controls you know politics And, and this isn't just in the u.s this is you know increasingly a global challenge and and so um so what the pe- the people i've been drawn to have said there are there is a kind of a new story that also goes back to some very ancient wisdom i mean things like the golden rule you know um or 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 the, the notion of a universe that's actually filled with meaning that's fundamentally creative that that has something akin to love it's sort of woven into its core structure at, at a level of physics even um, there's been this interesting Reconnect, connection between modern, the new science and, and ancient wisdom. So so that kind of thinking has really inspired me. It's inspired people I've worked with for the past 10 years. And there's a whole sort of set of networks tied into that that have been the, the core presence and now what, um, you know, who the kinds of people that show up are people that are looking to work towards a, a real transformation of the human presence on the planet and see that we're in this moment of profound crisis where... That still may be possible, but but some very dark possibilities also are, are arising.
0: Right. So I'm hearing that theme, we the people. It's really in our hands to create the change. And I'm reminded a few years ago, um, the women's industry with the sizes that they were showing in
1: catalogs. Mm-hmm.
0: It was all thin models. Right. The people made a... A statement and said that's not okay so now I'm doing online shopping where before I wasn't looking at catalogs I was going to the store and I'm noticing all the size models on the front page even they're not even hidden and so we the people pressured the powers that be and the change happened
1: absolutely and and you know one of the things that that I've come to see and that now what has been an interesting way to, to make visible is just how many different things are going on, how many different people and groups and networks and organizations are, you know, taking some piece of this and and working on it some way that they're saying, you know, our old paradigm for how we do things is, is broken in certain ways. It's missing certain things. You know, it has some toxic elements we need to get rid of. And here's a better way to do it, whether it's, you know, education or, or, you know, business or medicine or government or how our organizations are structured and how we share power or how we use our new capacities with the internet to operate, you know, with, with networks and without organizations per se. And um, you know, all of these things that, that they're, you know, there's this an incredible diversity. Nobody, nobody could possibly even catalog it, although some have tried. It was a famous initiative. Um, that 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 did that that uh, Paul Hawkins started called uh, Blessed Unrest, where he he had noticed he was going to all these conferences and he was just you know collecting business cards from people and just how many different organizations were working towards justice and environmental you know protection and indigenous peoples' rights and and all of these different movements he, he he compared it to the immune system of the planet kind of rising up against a set of destructive practices that that needed to change and um, and he couldn't count them all. He realized there were you know hundreds of thousands
0: So now what is the impetus to continue this process to bring unity amongst all of these different projects that are happening to create
1: change? Yeah, I mean, I think you know part part of the shift in thinking is to say that that any kind of centralized, pre-planned and designed top-down command and control structure for managing the enormous complexity of what human civilization has become, can't, it just can't work. We've reached sort of peak hierarchy, if you will. And, and, you know, hierarchies are valuable. They exist in nature. It's not that they're bad per se, but they have limits to how much, you know, they can control things. And so you have the illusion of control maybe in, in these systems, but but not the reality of it. And what you know, what really is, is is part of the new model is that things are very highly distributed and, and very, very complex. So there's always, at, at any scale you can operate and you're, you're embedded in this much larger system because everything affects everything else, you
0: know? Rosa Parks said that we are part of one race, the human race. And if we all went back to that and just put that in the forefront, it would make a change in our mindset because there's so much resistance now we're in that phase and we want to see change and we're coming at it from different viewpoints and fighting one another and i think we all want to see the same result whether we can pinpoint it or not and we need to stop fighting one another
1: yeah we all want to be you know happy healthy safe free Nobody nobody wishes not to have that, or you know, the only reason they might not wish that on somebody else is because they they've bought into a story that says that that there's not enough to go around. Or, yeah, I mean there are a few sociopaths, psychopaths, but um you know, we do at that at that at that common level. We are all not only is it one human race, but we're part of one larger sort of super organism of life on this planet. So you know, we're every bit as much entwined with the oceans and the forests as we are with one another. And what we do to them, we do to ourselves as well, you know, in the atmosphere. So, um, you know, that's another level of understanding our interconnectedness that, that's part of, you know, what we embrace in Now What. And, um, and, you know, anybody's welcome to come and participate, even if you don't necessarily um, agree with, because no nobody agrees with everybody on everything. I mean, that's another thing I've discovered in Now What, you know, is that even people I, I think of as completely aligned with my beliefs, if I talk to them long enough, I'll find something they think that I, you know, they believe that I think is either dead wrong or maybe even crazy, you know, and does that mean that I want nothing to do with them and we can't collaborate? No. Um, I could tell the story of Jacob Hess, maybe that's got sort of a, an end line with that. Um, this was before NAWA, but but um, at, at a conference of the National Coalition for Dialogue and Deliberation, which is a U.S. organization that, that's kind of, you know, that whole field of how do you gather people in groups to have productive and generative and, and um, even healing kinds of conversations and engagements with one another and to make decisions together to share power. That's what those, this group is about, right? And, and um, this was back in 20, 2014, I think, was this conference? before, we, we could see the election coming, but it was before the election, and there was, there was a strong push for transpartisanship, for saying we need to connect at a level beyond the, the right versus left Democrat Republican you know, polarity, not just bipartisan, which is those two parties kind of working together, but something that transcends that whole dynamic. And, and so there was a whole pre-conference day devoted to that, which I wasn't a part of. But for that, they brought in a young man uh from, from Utah, a Mormon, Jacob Hess was his name. He had co-written a book with a liberal Northeastern Jew where they tried to connect and, and find common ground. And the book was called You're Not as Crazy as I Thought You Were, but You're Still Wrong. <laughs> oh,
0: that's great. Isn't
1: that great. And it really kind of captured what the what the learning was from the whole exercise. Anyway, I, I wasn't a part of that, but I met Jacob. Um and, and there, there was one point where, where there was a conversation that, that, that was kind of coming from a default liberal perspective, and, and the people in the room didn't even notice, and I asked a question that kind of pointed it out. And I'm like, you know, is there anybody in this room who thinks of this hell as a conservative, and what did you think about what we just saw? And Jacob piped up and said, yeah, thank you for asking, because I thought it made us look mean and stupid, and um you know so there was that bit of connection in the room that happened and then the next day uh, is the last day of the conference and i'm in line for lunch with a colleague uh tom atley one of my mentors and he jacob comes up and says hey can i have lunch with you and we said sure and so we we sit down we're eating and we get into a conversation he asked he asked us about climate change he said you know, how bad do you think it is and and i said because he said because i don't really think that i'm not concerned about that i don't see that as a real issue and I said, well, I, I think it's a very, very serious issue. I think we have maybe 10 years to completely transform our energy system and, and stop putting carbon into the atmosphere and actually start sucking it out in different ways, or we will destroy the life support systems on this planet. 90% of all species could go extinct. It's, it's really bad. And Jacob sort of thought about it for a second. He said, well, you know, that's kind of an end time story. and you know, We tell end time stories too. And, and, um, But then Tom says, yeah, but in yours, like when the end times come, aren't you like raptured to some other place? And he said, no, actually, we think that we'll have heaven on earth. And then Tom said, and the second coming, you know, does that have to be like Jesus in the flesh coming back as a single person? Or could it be something like Christ consciousness infusing all of humanity? And Jacob thought about it, but he said, no, it could be that. And, and Tom and I looked at each other and said, well, you know, your, your vision of how we get to the world we want and what's possible is actually not different from ours. And, um, and then the, the end of the conversation was that Jacob said, um, well, you know, I'm still not with you on climate change, but I do think that, that you know, I'm all about small scale organic farming. And I think Monsanto is the devil. So I'll work with you for that if you want. And it was like, oh, so here's common ground, um, but also this human connection, right? And, and so apparently what happens later, After the conference, Jacob reflects on this. And um, you can see he writes, he wrote a a post, a blog post about it. And what struck him was that we weren't trying to make him wrong, we weren't trying to change his mind. We were just expressing our own, you know, concerns and, and was the first time he'd had a conversation about climate that was like that. And he began thinking about it and he began doing his own research. And lo and behold, he decided this is a real serious issue. After all, he even found some elements in scripture that he felt validated that. Um, And he became a climate activist. And he also uh, became very involved in an an initiative called the Living Room Conversations Project that brings people together across political divides to have conversations where they can see each other as human beings rather than as as enemies. you know, as human beings for whom they have compassion and empathy, even if they disagree with them. So um, I've had fantasies that in now, what we actually do some of that kind of bridging in, in, in our engagement. So far, we've pretty much been, you know, a cohort of two, you know, people aligned around a, a certain attitude towards, you know, things like our economic system and saying it needs radical change. And there's some people that would still call themselves capitalists that are part of it, but a lot of people that wouldn't, we haven't really kind of, tried to engage people from across, you know, the chasm of, of perspectives. Um, but I would love to see that happen. And I think that, that we're going to need more and more of that in the wake of this election um, in the United States, that, that regardless of what happens, we're going to need healing and understanding uh, if we're going to avoid, you know, something akin to a civil war. That's
0: my view. Right. Because if we're bringing about change for the world, where we have such diversity and people think and believe differently. Um, and we need the people to rise up collectively to create that change in a positive way. That we do need to um, have the open space and everyone needs to be open to having conversations with one another and having that mindset and to focus just like you did um, with what do we have in common? And where can we find that common ground and finding those examples?
1: And and most of us, I think, don't want bloodshed in the streets. We don't want to be afraid to to go out. And and we also we also want to be able to work together towards something better than what we have now. And that's I think the real challenge. You know, it's very easy to 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 just tear the system down. Um and but but to build something new to replace it that's much harder. You know, a few people can tear the whole thing down. They can come up the works. They can just stop things from happening. It's already kind of crumbling on its own. So it doesn't really need people to to help it that much. Um, But a few people can't create a whole new energy infrastructure, right? We all have to buy into that as a, as a collective task to a large degree. Um, And that's just one small example, you know, a symptom as much as a cause of, of the deeper challenges we face, I think.
0: So people come with their projects also intact and join Now What? and gain support. Can you tell us some about that? Because that's really encouraging.
1: Yeah, um, there's this notion of a gift economy. I had, um, one of the groups I, I first worked with ten years ago, when I when I began doing this this kind of convening and gathering and hosting, is uh, an initiative called the Pachamama Alliance that that um, does a lot of work with um, indigenous people in Ecuador and, and also has run a series of symposia all around the world on this notion of a of a change, you know, change in the story and, and the, the basic way we think about ourselves and our relationship to each other and the planet. Anyway, I was sitting down. For dinner with uh, one of the founders of that um, group, Bill Twist, and and he he went into this whole discussion about gift economies and said, you know, a lot of people think the the, the original economic system was barter. You know, if I wanted something, if I wanted a, you to help me fix my roof, I would give you a goat. Um, and he said, no, that's what anthropologists have discovered. That's not at all the case. Barter evolved later and was more of a way that people would create exchanges between different groups, right? But within your village, within your community, you use what's called the gift economy. And this is fundamentally how we've learned to operate, which is that if my roof needs fixing, everybody comes and, you know, helps me build a new roof. If, if I go out and, you know, and, and catch, uh, you know, uh, a wildebeest and bring it back, we share the meat. You know, it, it's, it's all, everyone is giving what they can, um, and, and, and there's also a collective sense of if somebody's not, you know, holding up their own weight, well, they're, you know, the community knows how to get that message to them and, and, and you know, encourage them to say, look, you're part of this. Because if you're, if you're thrown out of your community, well, that's, you know, you're, you're dead. So we have this innate desire to be generous and to give our gifts. And in fact, you know, there's, that's how you got some of the greatest status and security in those societies. The more generous, the more you gave away, the more you knew that people would take care of you if you were in need. And so that's the philosophy. When I first heard that I was just, it it really blew my mind. I loved the notion that, 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 there's an example of a really different story about who we are. Right. And this is, this is how we're, how we're encoded, you know, not necessarily like the only thing. We're also encoded clearly to be violent and angry and to, to, to fight and defend and be fearful. But, but we do, when we feel safe and secure, we want to be generous. We want to care for and support one another. And so the experiment in now what is, can we create a, uh, you know, can, are we willing to trust each other? Can we create a container where we show up and we just say, you know, I'm going to give my gifts even to, to strangers, um, even to people I may disagree with, but I'm going to trust that if I show up and I'm generous, I'll also receive gifts as well. And even the giving is a gift to me. You know, getting to give my gifts is often the thing people most want. Um, is what I've, I've learned in a lot of conversations about this. So um, we gather money and distribute that in lots of ways, um, but we're also working on... on gathering and sharing other kinds of resources. I mean, even something as simple as as your, you know, your ability to share a story with your network is can be a very powerful thing, you know, Um, but also people have skills, they have time, some of us. Um, So the the vision is that you come with a project, and we, and we certainly have helped a lot of projects to, to, to move forward and launch, but you, the, the, we're creating a space that's very fertile for anybody who comes in with work that is grounded in this this sense of our all being interconnected, of, of, of wanting to create healing, of wanting to create, you know, a better world for all of us, not just me versus you. Um, that if you come from that place and you have work you're doing that embodies that, that you'll be nourished, your work will be nourished. Um, and uh, probably one of the best so far the maybe our number one example of that is an initiative called climate change and consciousness that um, was a started as a conference that happened in april of 2019 and and now what was kind of born in collaboration with with that conference and the organizer of that, lead organizer stephanie mines and she had a vision that this wasn't just going to be a conference; that there was going to be a whole network and community instead of initiatives that would emerge out of that that would be supported. And um, and now what? You know, certainly, she, now what has has played a major role in helping that to happen in, in nurturing that initiative, particularly in its first say six months after the conference, to continue growing and and um, to be a place where. Stephanie's people could meet other people where, where the projects they're supporting could, could get attention, et cetera.
0: So, Stephanie Mines is also a neuroscientist, which I find very interesting uh, because there's this thought among people either science or faith. And I say science and faith. Um, science, you know, climate change, and yeah, it's very scientific. Science proves it. Uh, but do I have to put aside my faith to believe that? And my perspective, my dad was a biophysicist and he was also a man of deep faith. Uh, so I don't think we have to put one aside and feel like we're betraying. Um, yeah.
1: I think that's very true. And and um, I mean, you know, look back at that conversation we had with Jacob Hess, right? You know, Tom and I probably would both I, don't know, I certainly often think of myself as an atheist. I don't know what Tom would describe himself as. Um, maybe he has a Buddhist practice, but um you know here we were saying, yeah, Christ consciousness diffusing the planet. We're down with that. You know, it really you know once you get past this notion that that you know of, of this religion versus that religion or this set of beliefs versus that as if even a single religion is a single set of beliefs as opposed to a whole spectrum of them, right? You know and again you drill down with any single person and you're going to find differences so i think yeah. absolutely i mean part of this new story is to embrace you know this notion of, of us all being interconnected does kind of come down to a cosmic oneness in a way you know and 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 the, and the power of love um a lot of people see it like that um,
0: yeah So now what is a place of love and acceptance, um, collaboration?
1: Generosity.
0: Generosity. Giving what we have, giving it from our heart because we want to, creating change organically together.
1: And supporting one another through some really difficult times. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the shifts for me over the course of this work has been from a kind of a, a dogmatic attachment to this story that we're gonna make this better world, a world that works for all. We have enough time, we have all the solutions and the answers, we just need to summon the collective will and, and you know, it's possible and we're gonna do that. Um, or at least there's a, there's a good enough chance that we can do that, even if it's a miracle that we do it. We're still, that, that's, that's the game we're playing together. And what I've come to, to understand over time is that you don't have to even believe that that's possible for this kind of connecting to to be to be worth doing. And that in some ways, if you think it's all falling apart, if you think it's actually going to get much worse, um, that that's all the more reason we need to be coming together and connecting and supporting one another in these ways, you know. and and, and also that the fear of that. And the grief that we feel from what we see disappearing before our eyes, you know, whole senses of a way of life and our place in the world and a, a world that makes sense and a world that's safe. If, if all that is vanishing, there's, there's enormous sense of loss and fear. And if we're stuck in our own little bubbles with that, then some really toxic things can happen. But if we have, you know, ways to, to collectively work with that, that are rooted in in caring and, and love and, and finding and and working together, that's a a really, you know, that's a beautiful and and important thing to be doing, even if we're going to hell in a handbasket collectively, maybe even more so.
0: Well, and that's something that the younger generations have brought back to the forefront is what is my meaning and purpose in doing this job? And so a lot of corporations now are being creative and giving them back 10% of their time, create something that contributes to our Pause and do it because it's your passion. And so finding that meaning and purpose is so important. We've heard the statistics um, how loneliness kills, just like physical disease can kill, and how one in 11 people reported in the World Happiness Report that they felt like they had no one to depend on and they were experiencing loneliness. Then we had this pandemic hit. We were told to socially isolate. And here we are all in our homes, and we found this newer way to connect a lot of people have never been on zoom and now it's been six seven months and we're getting used to it
1: and, yeah, we're, and maybe you know, a little burnout too but absolutely yeah. and it was you know when we when we had the last edition right covid it was planned and you know we knew we were going to do this roughly every six months so the previous one had been october november 2019 you know march april um 2020 was kind of the the natural time to be doing it and then you know it was we started on march 23rd so that was you know like within a week or so of the, the first lockdown here in connecticut i think i mean it was all just kind of breaking we knew we knew things were happening you know around the world a little bit before that but but it was kind of for it to be an offering to people just as we were suddenly you know being told we have to limit ourselves in this way it was was pretty amazing timing. And we wound up, I think, with 146 Zoom calls over that six weeks on our shared calendar. (laughs) I can show you. It it doesn't look quite as dramatic as it did um, at the time because um, I've been changing some of the settings in this calendar. So some things got turned off. You can't see all the different things. But this was here we are starting on March 23rd with opening gathering Zoom calls at two different times to accommodate people around the world and, and the calendar starts to fill out with different offerings. And as we go along, it gets even busier by mid April. This, this actually, if I had things, other things turned on, you'd see, this was, this was actually twice as busy and we're starting, you know, here's 7.00 AM on the East coast going till 10 PM. But there were things that were even earlier than that for people, you know, cause it's not always early depending on where you are. Anyway, it was pretty, um, And we're, we're really pushing the envelope and continue to in terms of how can we gather virtually, including get including in person elements and connecting those up in little nodes around the world. So like what I mentioned, you know, going to the polls on November 3rd and and connecting in person with people and beaming that out is one kind of thing that we can we can still. Um, I'd love to have this vision, you know, if you just imagine what a real cafe is like with but a busy one, right? And you got all these tables. But imagine that everybody there also actually wants to connect with everybody else there. So you're moving around from table to table and you're kind of self-organizing on the fly with what are we talking about or what are we doing? And maybe over here we're singing songs and over here we're making art and, you know, over here we're plotting some, you know, a business we want to start. It can be any of that. It's all going on at the same time in all these different little pockets and you can move around among it. That's kind of the, the vision I have for it. It hasn't quite happened yet so i'm hoping we'll see more of that this time around Um, and the engagement streams what what that's kind of evolving into is um you know there are groups that want to do that for sure they're already planning some ongoing ones Um, one example would be um uh, let's see which there's a few there are a few that are kind of percolating um I guess the one that first comes to mind is a, there's an initiative, another initiative I'm a part of called the thriving resilient communities Collaboratory, And we've been practicing how to, how to, uh, a, a new model of philanthropy that empowers the, the, the field that, that, you want to support with this funding. And the normal model is the people with the money, you know, put out a request for proposals, they take those in, they sit in a the room, they pick the ones they want to fund, and they say, hey, you got a grant, and sorry, you didn't, right? And all the power is sitting with people who have the money, who aren't really necessarily the ones out there doing the work that they themselves want to support, right? So the idea is, how do we actually have the wisdom of the field that you want to support with this philanthropic contribution inform where that money goes so we've been experimenting with that and and we're we're trying to move that to the next level and imagine that all these different networks that are out there um, that are organized around different kinds of change that we want to support to help build you know rebuild and regenerate our communities as as places that are the, the thriving, that are healthy, that are much more kind of independent as a community, uh, you know, able to support themselves and less dependent on far-flung global supply chains and and things like that. Um, How do we, how do we support that transformation? And there are networks that exist to do that. And can those networks become conduits for, for philanthropic um, flows of money you know instead of a foundation controlling money what if what if networks work kind of like foundations did and we're planning to to, to to talk with do a series of interviews with different people that are interested in that and have been testing that out in different ways and, and to open that in, those interviews up to participants and now what to, to learn more from them and maybe get interested in the project we're doing so that's a long-winded description of, any, of one example an engagement stream um, there was another one last time that was Probably one of my favorites listening to indigenous voices and, and we had a, a repeating group of four different people from uh two two from the u.s no i guess three from the u.s one from brazil but very different perspectives all, all different indigenous backgrounds um sharing their perspective on the work they're doing now and on what it's like to be an indigenous person in their culture and in the world and um you know really giving them a platform and that so there were three of those calls last time and, um Anyway, so so the last time around we had a bunch of these kind of pre-designed ahead of time. And this time it's not quite coming together that that quickly or that in that focused way. So it's going to be much more of an invitation for for anyone who really feels called to what now what is about to step into the, the collective as a as sort of a shared a co-creator of this engagement. And put whatever they want on the calendar, whether it's an engagement stream that extends throughout, you know, all six weeks or two or three weeks, or it's just a single offering, or maybe it's not a Zoom call at all. Maybe it's just, um, you know, an invitation to to learn about a thing through some materials that are available online and contribute some money to it if you if you if you think it's worthwhile. Um, there's kind of any way that we have to extend an invitation around something we care about. You know, you're invited to do that if you if you want to become part of the NOAA collective.
0: That's awesome, and I know that there's also a place for children, um, which was awesome to see last time.
1: Yeah, last time was the first time we really started to get kids involved, and I had been thinking about that before too, and in, in general that I've missed kids in, in lots of the convenings that I do. Um, so I would love to see more of that happen, an in, in intergenerational connecting is another, you know, has been a theme with a lot of energy that people have. So, you know, multiple generations together, like we, you know, have been for most of our time on this planet as a species, right? It's very weird that we've segmented ourselves in the way we have. It's not aligned with who we are. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, if you, I know there's some folks doing work on education that are interested in the intergenerational stuff. Um in particular, and I I hope they can involve fact, they were part of the World Happiness Fest. Um, That that was the one of the engagement streams from the last time was was a follow up to that global event, which happened the week before Now What Started. Um, There may be some things like that, too. You know, that's another thing that got on the calendar is if if another organization or network was offering something that was open to others. That was aligned with what we were doing and they wanted to, to be a now what partner we could put their promote their events too so some of the things on the calendar weren't things organized by now what at all
0: right and
1: so also there's
0: parties which i really had a good time at the party
1: <laughs> you know it's so interesting that you brought that up i um Last week, I was starting to set up the calendar again and redo the website. And, and for some reason, I decided, you know, maybe we don't need the parties this time. So but I didn't check it out with anybody. I mean, this is coming together kind of at the last minute compared to previous times. I had another big piece of work supporting some ocean scientists that just wrapped up two days ago, and, and I it, it just wasn't able to do as much sort of collective organizing because of that. So you, you really like the parties. I, yeah, we had weekly, we had the cafes and we had the parties and I, I, I don't know, I just had this thought, Alexia, that, that this isn't the time for, for partying. It's just too heavy and serious, but maybe that's crazy.
0: Maybe, maybe that's all the more reason
1: to it's do it, It's all the right? more
0: reason. Yeah. Okay. Food. Because last time I'd come to a cafe, And most of the time, I go into a COVID room to talk about COVID worldwide. And people from all around the world would share, what's it like in your country? What's it like in my country? And I loved that. And it was so serious. And it's what we needed. And it was supportful. Then I look forward to that party where I could just come and we would laugh and play a game and relax. It it really helped balance.
1: The parties are back.
0: (laughs) And kind, come for the party, because it's relational, it's encouraging, it gives hope. It really did for me.
1: It was fun to, it's fun to think of what are virtual party games, too. I mean, because they really, when you get creative, there are a lot of interesting things that you can do on, on Zoom that you might, probably the people have now come up with a whole bunch more, too, since we've been connecting that way
0: they're still asking um, because I'm in several Slack channels with different topics and people in HR are saying, what are some ideas? How can I connect? You know, or people who land jobs and they're saying how do I connect with my coworkers virtually? I don't know how to do that because we've never had to do that before. So yeah. Yeah.
1: And the, the other thing that happens too as we're doing it now more and more um, this is a pattern I've observed you know since again since I began doing this work when I started out what I learned was we had all these processes for working with groups together and some of them everybody's familiar with like conferences and and you know meetings and things but 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 there also were what I got excited by were what are known as more um, ways to tap collective wisdom to, to, to allow every voice in the room a chance to be heard but not like giving everybody a minute on the microphone like a hearing where you just can't make collect you're not making collective sense when you just hear one statement after another right so these are processes typically that use a lot of small group breakouts and then come back together they use powerful questions they they often embrace this idea of emergence that we're not going into this sort of knowing what we want the outcome to be or even limiting the outcome in these ways but we're really looking for what wants to happen as we start connecting so so there are a whole set of processes that have been developed in person to do that, things like open space technology, World Cafe, Appreciative Inquiry, Future searches you know, um, and I learned about those for the first time in, in February, 2010. And thought, wow, these are just so exciting. And they scale to like, I mean, they did a World Cafe in person in Tel Aviv that I think had 10,000 people in it in, in the early 2000s, all sitting at different tables in small groups. And, and then they were able to collect insights from each of those groups and make sense of them. So these things scale. But they were developed in person, and so I got excited because I learned about those, and I saw that now we could do these virtually. It was just even then that was like just the beginnings of being able to get you know 300 people on a conference call and break them up into you know 40 small groups, and and give them all a question to think about together, and then come back together and hear the answers. Um, that's a world cafe. Um, so, so I thought this is amazing, this is powerful. But what I've noticed is. The default, and and this gets back to your your observation around COVID, what we always start doing, it seems, when we start connecting virtually is we try to do exactly what we would have done if we weren't in person. It's like we know, we know what it's like to have a meeting in person. So now we're on Zoom. We're going to have a meeting that looks as much like that in-person meeting as, as possible. Because that's just what a meeting is, right? That's all we know. And so even with these more exciting emergent processes like World Cafe, we did the same thing. And what became very clear to me in the beginning you know, early on is virtual is different. It's not even one thing. You know, we can be, you know, we have Google Docs, we have Facebook, we have Zoom, we have polls, we have YouTube, you know, we have all these different capacities, and there's all kinds of creative ways to put them together, and time is different, too. That's why now, what, last six weeks, right? You couldn't have a six-week-long conference, because people have to go back home, but when you're working virtually, you don't have to go back home. You're already there, right? And, and so... So there's a process of, re- of reimagining and reinventing how we gather and how we connect and how we have conversations and what a conversation even is that we're just starting to really understand in terms of what's possible with all these new capacities. And now what, as much as anything else is a place where we're experimenting with a lot of stuff. So we use all kinds of different technology. Nobody's expected to, to understand or use it all. Um, but we're not trying to find kind of the least common denominator and make it super simple. And so, you know, everything's really clear and we don't try anything unless we're sure that every single person who's showing up is gonna get that thing. Cause that really, really limits the creativity, right? Um, so, so that's part of what excites me about now, what is really pushing the envelope in terms of how to engage, um, you know, both in small groups and, and across large groups and across multiple networks together. Well, I'm
0: excited to be part of this and get the word out. And thank you for everything that you're doing.
1: Well, it feels like a real privilege to be able to do it, um, you know, and, um, yeah. and I'm very honored and, and so happy to have support from people like you. I mean, I mentioned the Now What Collective before, and, and um, that was back in a year ago, sort of decided we really did need a group of people that had a certain status as share as co-creators. And if I really wanted to have empower people to, you know, put stuff on the calendar and work with money and all this stuff, we needed a bit of a a boundary there. So not everybody that comes to NELA is is a member of the collective, but increasingly, you know, we have typically had 30 or 40 people that have said, yes, I want to be, you know, engaged at that level. And last time we created a sort of a way to, to define your participation and make some commitments around that if you wanted to. And I'm really looking forward to that maturing this time around and to there being much more shared, um, you know, authority and, and creative energy. Um, we did it really well last time with, with our earth day celebration. Lots of people came together to create a 48 hour extravaganza this time around. I think the whole, the whole now up will have much more of that feeling of, of, you know, a group of people creating things where often they're just putting their own individual thing in too, but then there's a lot that does get coordinated and, and handled uh, you know, as, as groups or in small circles and things. So I appreciate and I'm so happy that you are gonna be a part of that again.
0: Yep, it's great to connect. Thank you. Bye. Now what? The Art of Being Human in a time of crisis, October 12th to November the 20th, 2020. Welcome to this global gathering and gift economy for collectively navigating the complexity of our times in order to support action, build community, foster healing, and unleash generosity. Support the gift economy. Register. Join the main Zoom. Get some call information. Get started. Now what is a way to grow relationships, learn together, find project support, find new opportunities, find personal support, be of service. There is a declaration of possibility and how to become a collective member on the site. Um, and we do have different modes of communicating uh, the main one is Zoom. We also have a Spotify channel, a Slack channel. Uh, we have Workspace in the Google Drive. Now Nowwhat2020.com. Uh, come join us. The calendar is there as well as we have a blog. Uh, so we are so glad that you joined us today. Spread the word. Share this podcast. The more people who join, the more impactful we will be to create positive change. That last song was dedicated to everyone who missed it because they were in the bathroom changing their tampon. And the next 12 hours of songs are for anyone who's trying the Diva Cup for the first time and is currently kicking back with uninterrupted period protection. Sound good to you? Check out the world's number one menstrual cup for yourself at shopdiva.com and get 10% off with code RADIO10. Conditions apply.